Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. And we start this hour with breaking news. You are taking a live look at Capitol Hill, where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected to announce a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. That announcement is expected at any moment. We'll bring it to you live as soon as it begins. Our team of reporters are standing by as we await the House Speaker. Eamon Javers traveling with the president live outside the U.N., but we kick it off with Elon Moy in our D.C. newsroom. Elon. Melissa, a moment of truth. That is how the speaker has been describing her decision to Democratic lawmakers, and she is speaking right now. Last Tuesday, we observed the anniversary of the adoption of the Constitution on September 17th. Sadly, on that day, the intelligence community inspector general formally notified the Congress that the administration was forbidding him from turning over a whistleblower complaint on Constitution Day. This is a violation of law. Shortly thereafter, press reports began to break of a phone call by the President of the United States calling upon a foreign power to intervene in his election. This is a breach of his constitutional responsibilities. The facts are these. The Intelligence Community Inspector General, who was appointed by President Trump, determined that the complaint is both of urgent concern and credible. And its disclosure, he went on to say, relates to one of the most significant and important of the Director of National Intelligence's responsibility to the American people. On Thursday, the Inspector General testified before the House Intelligence Committee, stating that the acting Director of National Intelligence blocked him from disclosing the whistleblower complaint. This is a violation of law. The law is unequivocal. The DNI staff, uh, it, it says the DNI, DNI, Director of National Intelligence, shall provide Congress the full whistleblower complaint. For more than 25 years, I've served on the Intelligence Committee as a member, as the ranking member, as part of the gang of four, even before I was in the leadership. I was there when, uh, when we created the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. That did not exist before 2004. I was there even earlier in the 90s when we wrote the whistleblower laws and continued to write them to improve them to ensure the security of our intelligence and the safety of our whistleblowers. I know what their purpose was, and we proceeded with balance and caution as we wrote the laws. I can say with authority the Trump administration's actions undermine both our national security and our intelligence and our protections of the whistleblowers, more than both. This Thursday, the acting DNI will appear before the House Intelligence Committee. At that time, he must turn over the whistleblower's full complaint to the committee. He will have to choose whether to break the law or honor his responsibility to the Constitution. On the final day of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, when our Constitution was adopted, Americans gathered on the steps of Independence Hall to wait the news 
of the government our founders had crafted. They asked Benjamin Franklin, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? Franklin replied, a republic if you can keep it. Our responsibility is to keep it. Our republic endures because of the wisdom of our Constitution, enshrined in three co-equal branches of government, serving as checks and balances on each other. The actions taken to date by the President have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the President says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. For the past several months, we have been investigating in our committees and litigating in the courts so the House can gather all the relevant facts and consider whether to exercise its full Article I powers, including a constitutional power of the utmost gravity, approval of articles of impeachment. And this week, the President has admitted to asking the President of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, the actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the President's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The President must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Getting back to our founders, in the darkest days of the American Revolution, Thomas Paine wrote, the times have found us. The times found them to fight for and establish our democracy. The times have found us today. Not to place ourselves in the same category of greatness as our founders, but to place us in the urgency of protecting and defending our Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. In the words of Ben Franklin, to keep our republic. I thank our chairman, Chairman, chairman Nadler, Chairman Schiff, of, Chairman Nadler of Judiciary, Chairman Schiff of Intelligence, Chairman Engel of Foreign Affairs, Chairman Cummings uh, of, of uh, Oversight, and Chairman Cummings I've been in touch with constantly. He's a master of, of so much, but including uh, inspectors general and, and uh, whistleblowers. Uh, Congresswoman Richie Neal of the, of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, Congresswoman Maxine Waters of the Foreign Financial Services Committee. And I commend all of our, our members, our colleagues, for their thoughtful, thoughtful approach to all of this, for their careful statements. God bless them, and God bless America. Thank you all. We've been listening to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who has called for an official, formal uh, impeachment inquiry into President Trump. She said that uh, President Trump's call with the, the president of Ukraine was unconstitutional. Let's get to Elon Moy in Washington, D.C., with the implications of this all. Elon. Melissa, I thought it was notable that she framed this as an issue of national security. She called it a violation of law and a breach of constitutional responsibilities. This is a moment the speaker had tried to avoid for a very long time. She has said that impeachment could be divisive within the country, within her party, and that she would not act until the call was simply unavoidable and the evidence, to her mind, inevitable. So this is a sign now with 107 
70 at least House Democrats behind her, with all her committee chairmen behind her now, supporting this move toward an impeachment inquiry, that she feels that she can take this step with political support behind her and for this movement. But I think it is really important to point out what she is not doing. She is not calling for articles of impeachment. She is calling for all six committees to do an investigation to determine whether articles of impeachment might be necessary if they should move forward with the steps. So this is still a preliminary stage, but an important acknowledgement by the Speaker and by Democrats that they want to ratchet up the level of investigation. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in our D.C. Bureau. Let's get to Eamon Javers, who is traveling with the president. He is live for us outside the United Nations, where President uh, Trump spoke earlier today and also talked about releasing the full unredacted transcript of that call with the Ukrainian president. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, and after we heard from the uh, Speaker of the House just there, now it's clear that the battle lines have been drawn. This impeachment fight is going to be about the content of that phone call the president had with the Ukrainian uh, president and also all of his conduct surrounding that, the relationship between the president and the Ukrainians. Did the president, as Nancy Pelosi just said, inappropriately and even illegally and unconstitutionally request help in his political campaign from a foreign leader? Or, as the president has been saying today, did he simply uh, request that the Ukrainians uh, participate in the overall democratic process here. Uh, These are two very starkly different versions of the same set of events. The president today tweeting out just within the past two hours that he is going to release uh, the transcript of his conversation with the Ukrainian president. That's going to come tomorrow after we've just had this announcement from Nancy Pelosi. So presumably the president already knows what's in that transcript. He's been saying throughout the day today uh, that there's nothing inappropriate in that call. Uh, By releasing that, the president uh, is bowing to some political pressure here, Melissa, because some members of his administration had been suggesting uh, that he wasn't going to do it because it would set what they called a bad precedent for other world leaders if they could suspect that their conversations would be transcribed and then released to the public eventually at some point in the future. They said they didn't want to do that. Now the president's saying he will do it, Melissa. So we'll get a look at that tomorrow. Unclear exactly how much detail beyond that, but more is coming tomorrow. And that's where the battle is going to be. All right, Eamon. Thank you, Eamon Javers. In the meantime, we do have a a tweet from President Trump uh, just one minute ago. He tweets, such an important day at the United Nations, so much work and so much success. And the Democrats purposely had to ruin and demean it with more breaking news, witch hunt garbage so bad for our country. So that is a tweet that came out just about a minute ago. So on the heels of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi calling for for a formal uh, inquiry into impeachment, we usually don't talk about politics on this show, for sure, except that in today's session, we saw the markets really being dictated by every single headline. If we can show this chart, we have exactly when the markets started going down, um, and that started with um, the tough talk on China coming from the president out of the U.N., Then the news report that uh, Pelosi will have an announcement later today regarding impeachment. We saw the market take a leg lower. The president saying, I'm going to release a transcript. The market's paired its losses in half. And then we sort of faded into the day when we knew that Pelosi was going to continue with this uh, 5 p.m. announcement, which we just heard. So what does this all mean when we're being held captive by these headlines? And, And let's sort of try and game out. What does this mean for the markets if the if the house goes down this road? Well, I got to believe, and again, we're not MSNBC, we're not a political show, but we'll game it out a little bit to answer your question and say this. I mean, so much of this is, so much of the market is waiting for this deal with the Chinese. If you're in China right now with what we've just heard, are you now 
quick to make right. a deal with the United States based on this? My sense is no, but that's been something I've been saying for quite some time. So I think this pushes any deal with China out into the future. The flip side of that is, is the president now maybe feeling that he's somewhat backed into a corner? Is he more quick or does, is his instincts now to make a deal with the Chinese that might be as not as advantageous as one would have been. So there's a number of ways to play this out. But I can't for the life of me come up with a conclusion that it, this is somehow market positive. It's yeah. not. Karen, where do you stand? I think it's not really going to make a difference. I think that, you know, one of the effects of being as, as divided as we are as a nation is that I don't think an impeachment is going to change anyone's mind who is a Trump supporter to continue to vote for Trump and who is a Trump hater to continue to hate Trump. I do think it's going to cause greater gridlock than we already have. We've got pretty bad gridlock already. So I don't really think there wasn't an infrastructure bill that was about to happen that now won't. So I don't know that 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 will matter. I, I, I agree that I feel like China is still the big issue. And then secondary is the Fed and economies around right. the world. I feel like that's more important than this news today, unless for some reason there is a growing sentiment among senators to get on board, which I don't see that happening. Unless that happens, I think this goes nowhere. Uh, Cowan Research came out today and said that their base case scenario is that the House votes for impeachment, but that it goes no further than that. At the same time, at minimum, Karen had mentioned sort of the gridlock that could be intensified. We still have another trade deal that Congress needs to approve, USMCA. Does that mean that that gets delayed? And is that bad? For, I mean, there are so many different implications in terms of the end of legislating here because of uh, the House dealing with impeachment. Yeah, so if we look back to when Bill Clinton was impeached, uh, and, and if you go from start to finish, there was a lot of volatility initially, but eventually the Senate didn't convict. The S&P was up like 28% over the course of that time frame. I don't know that history is going to repeat itself, but what I can say is that there's just a lot of political uncertainty out there right now, and that is typically a contrarian indicator, right? And, and if you are trading based off of the latest trade or political headline, the market's going to chew you up and spit you out. So you really need to figure out whether or not you believe this bull market's still intact. And if you think it's still intact, you use these volatile moments as opportunities to add to the And that's what you would you be like. doing? That's what we'd be doing right now. So we're, we're here to respond to markets' response to threats of, mm -hmm. of political influence or politics on the market. And, and we've been through uh, a handful of these cycles during the Trump administration. Um, what, what I would say about today is, is that this is clearly an escalation of a new political threat um, that has not been, I, I don't think, measured by the market to this point. I don't think impeachment um, was at all in, put on a market risk factor, um, except for when we started into the Mueller investigation. Think about um, what the Mueller investigation during a couple of its early spikes of momentum actually did for the market. It was detrimental for the market in the short term. It was not something that we, we, we ultimately saw play out in terms of a, you know, any material impact. But to the fact that there only have been, and again, we, we moved towards impeachment today. We didn't announce it. The articles have not been prepared. Mm -hmm. But there's been only three other impeachment hearings in history. So the fact that you could raise this specter at a time when German EFO this morning was just off of all you know, just off of essentially uh, market crisis lows. Japan's manufacturing sector sunk deeper into contraction. Um, you have 30 percent of the European economy, which is Germany, that's effectively 
under under siege right now from a global trade war. And you had consumer confidence that this morning in our country, which we all know and we talk about every night on this show, how the consumer is really the story. And, and yet you're you know, you're looking at at least expectations uh, factors that in this report this morning were only the second lowest print since before the Trump presidency. The markets have been able to shrug off all sorts of political uncertainty in the past. But when the backdrop of the economy was stronger. And now the difference is that it is weakening. Um, and we got to get to Eamon Javers here. We've got more from President Trump. Eamon, what's the latest? Yeah, Melissa, the president is venting some of his frustrations over Twitter in real time here. Just in the past couple of minutes, the president tweeting Pelosi, Nadler, Schiff, and of course, Maxine Waters. Can you believe this? Uh, an extremely frustrated President Trump here singling out some of the Democratic leaders who will be uh, spearheading this impeachment inquiry effort that Nancy Pelosi just announced. These are people that the president views very much as his political enemies, and now they'll be in charge uh, in some ways of determining what his political fate is here. Another tweet from the president just within the past two minutes saying they never even saw the transcript of the call a total witch hunt here the president returning to some of the rhetoric that he used successfully to deflect the Mueller investigation into Russian alleged Russian collusion between the president of the United States and the government of Russia that inquiry ultimately didn't amount to anything in terms of political consequence for the president. In fact, if you recall, Melissa, uh, Robert Mueller testified on Capitol Hill on July 24th. It was July 25th, the very next day that the president allegedly made this call or did make this call to the president of the Ukraine and then allegedly brought up this Joe Biden investigation that he wanted to see, Melissa. So just one day after Mueller's testimony on Capitol Hill, this series of events began, which has now led us to the moment that we're in today. All right. Eamon, thank you for keeping us posted. Eamon Javers in front of the U.N. in New York City here. Guy Adami, yes. let's say we go down the route of impeachment. What are some of the other implications here for the president and for an agenda for the markets? What are the implications? It's fascinating. You know, I brought up the U.S.-China trade deal. I think yeah. that's first and foremost. And then the market will say, well, will the Federal Reserve have our back? And I've said for a while, I think it's foolish in my opinion, to think that the Fed is somehow going to backstop this market. So I think we find ourselves with the VIX that did close at 17 today, which was a significant move from yesterday's close. In my opinion, it's still too cheap in this environment. But I have to tell you, it's something I've been saying for months now, and for months it's been incorrect. Maybe this is the final straw. I have no idea. Maybe we read the transcripts tomorrow and this all goes away. But I'm hard-pressed to believe this is somehow market positive. Let's say it doesn't impact President Trump himself in terms of being impeached, because I think that most people at this point in time would say that would be a sort of a long-off prospect. At the same time, does this wound the president going into the 2020 election cycle and make the chances of a Democrat winning greater, which would be probably seen according to consensus views for what that's oh, worth question, as market, market negative. I mean, you know, think of what we got on November 9th and, 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 you know, from 2016 and how people were surprised at the impact of the clean sweep across, you know, the three legislative branches, but effectively um, what it really meant for just a total change in tide. It didn't matter whether you thought certain things were going to get done. Um, back to the markets today, you know, you had an extraordinarily strong two-year note auction. You had a 10-year that closed down at 164. Um, we were at 190, you know, last week. We're back at this move lower in yields. For everybody that said we were hit the low in yields, a lot of people are scratching their heads once again because the economic dynamics here, and guys, right, I mean, look, it doesn't matter what the Fed does here. This is not about monetary policy. There's nothing monetary policy can do for the rest of the world. You've seen every central bank begin to question that. So um, this is about either fiscal policy or truly getting on with it. And right now, it doesn't look like we're getting on with it. Okay. 
We are expecting to hear more reaction to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi moving forward with a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. We'll bring you the very latest as soon as we have it. We are also keeping an eye on shares of Nike. That stock hitting all-time highs in the after-hour session on earnings. The company's conference call just getting underway. We'll break it down, the big headlines. Plus, one of Wall Street's biggest bulls is standing by his claim that stocks are headed to new highs. He will tell us what's got him so excited. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're just joining us, we have breaking news out of Capitol Hill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing that she is opening a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. The president taking to Twitter to blast the move as a witch hunt. His latest tweet, he's had a series of tweets in the past 10 minutes or so, is simply presidential harassment exclamation point. We'll bring you the latest as soon as we get it uh, as the hour progresses. In the meantime, we do have an earnings alert on Nike, the stock hitting a fresh all-time high in the after-hour session. For more on the results, let's get to Sarah Eisen at the NYSC. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Melissa, good to see you. Another strong set of results from Nike continuing to defy what the company views as a volatile macroeconomic environment fraught with geopolitical risk and a rising U.S. dollar. It affects them, but Nike continues to shine, beating bottom and top line, punctuated by 22 percent revenue growth this quarter in China. Mark Parker, the CEO, just wrapped up his initial comments on the call. He addressed the elephant in the room and the elephant in the market for this stock, which is the U.S.-China trade relationship and the new tariffs that could impact Nike on apparel, consumer products, and footwear. Listen. In relation to tariffs, we've been clear that we strongly believe in the power of free and fair trade. Historically, we've effectively navigated through excessive duties, and we're confident that we'll continue to do so under the current dynamic. So projecting some optimism there around the newly announced tariffs. Analysts say this is a company that has about 25 percent of its manufacturing exposure in China, but it is nimble and able to move factories around the world. It's been in places like Vietnam and Bangladesh for a long time. And so they don't see a huge impact. Besides the strong China results, other uh, factors that led to the big beat that Parker led off the call with, digital continues to grow very fast for Nike, talking about the growth that they're seeing particularly in their sneakers app, and direct-to-consumer has been a huge strategy that's been paying results for investors lately. In other words, going to the apps, going to the website and the stores to the consumer directly instead of relying so much as it has in the past on wholesalers like the department stores. He also mentioned some of the new initiatives and the new uh, sort of growth areas of the quarter. The Women's World Cup, for instance, he said their innovation really paid off. Their apparel revenue was four times the size of the previous World Cup in the all-Nike final. He mentioned the new Joyride, which is kind of the new running sneaker that that was a big hit during the quarter and that Zion Williams signed with the uh, Nike family this quarter. So clearly, 
Nike is giving consumers a reason to pay up. The margins were higher and the results around the world, including in Europe, which hasn't shown strong results for American companies lately, and North America, its home market, all coming in better than expectations. Melissa. All right, Sarah, thank you so much. Sarah Eisen at the New York Stock Exchange. That stock again up five and a half percent. If you had to pick it apart, is there anything to not like? Yeah, a little bit. So okay. North America was up 4%. And, and you know, essentially in EBITDA terms, it was up 2%. So um, that which was the bright spot in the last couple quarters is the spot that actually now people might say, hey, you know, maybe they're petering out a little bit. Maybe some of the areas of growth that include women's uh, digital and, and, you know, essentially some of the, the apparel business that's booming in Asia is not happening here. I'm not ready to do that. Um, and again, what's interesting is the way Nike flies in the face of every other discretionary consumer brand out there that talks about Asia. Uh, Again, up 27%. When you talk about um, the the pan-China region for them being a place where, again, they're seeing it in apparel, they're seeing it in women's, they're seeing it in in, in areas that actually are a little bit different, a little bit more diversified. It's very exciting. And you would have thought they might have set the bar a little bit too high with with last quarter's China results in terms of the expectation going in, and yet here they are. Yeah. Very strong. Well, they just continue to execute. I mean, Nike's a company that's just absolutely crushing it right now. This whole direct-to-consumer thing where they're trying to offer the right product at the right time to every single consumer that they could possibly sell to has just been downright impressive. If I were to pull out my phone and hop on Instagram, it's kind of creepy, but they're probably going to show me the same exact shoe that I'm interested in buying. It's just it's wild. And they're they're crushing it with their digital presence. They've got a sneakers app, a Nike app. They've got all these different apps, and it's just making it very easy for the consumer to continue to buy. To me, the most impressive thing was the gross margin, right? So it's yeah. revenue minus the cost of the shoe. And so that gross margin expansion was really, that was pretty impressive. So that's telling you they have pricing power, right? right? That's really important. And so if you can do that, and then, and then to also have your SG&A under control, then you get to a huge earnings beat. The only tiny little negative was that they had a better tax rate, which sounds like a positive thing. It is, but it's not a recurring right. thing. So I don't know. This was just really impressive on all fronts on top of and I'll read. I mean, you know, the bar was high and they just jumped right over it. Yep. Still a big valuation. And we've mm-hmm. all said that for a long time. So the April high, I think, was 90 or so. We're basically there now. You want to sort of punch some holes. OK, North American revenues. We're a little lighter than expected. That was offset to Karen's point. Opera, gross margins up 130 basis points. That's really good. Year-over-year EPS up 26%. That's really good. Inventories were up 12% for the quarter. That could be a great thing mm-hmm. if people, if the demand is there. But if the world goes sort of pear-shaped over the next couple months, you wonder what that 12% inventory build off a of 7% oh, sales growth. Go ahead. Maybe that's on, you know, trying to get in front of tariffs and just it, building it, inventory. There. Trying to get right. in front of it. Exactly. But that's great if there's demand on the back end. But again, if the world sort of goes sour. And they're stuck with the inventory. So look, the point is this. Big valuation, great quarter. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. But $90 is sort of your line of demarcation. It is imperative to see how this thing trades tomorrow. If it reverses like we've seen before, then I really think you've got to consider taking profits and pulling the ripcord. Okay. Again, Nike up uh, more than 5% right now. Uh, we've got to take a break here, but we'll have much more on the big breaking news we brought you at the top of the hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing a plan to move forward with formal impeachment inquiries into President Trump. We'll have much more market reaction straight ahead. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. In case you're just joining us at the top of the hour, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi officially moved forward with a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. For more on this and the potential market impact, let's bring in Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy, Chris Harvey. Chris, great to have you with us. Great to be back. Um, your year-end target is 3088. Does anything change on the back of this? No, nothing changes, but you would expect to see a repricing of risk, right? So with the uncertainty that we're putting forward, with the the focus on impeachment, what would you expect? You expect bonds to rallies, your, your bond proxies do better, sell-off in banks, a sell-off in rich product for a short period of time. But we went back, we looked at Nixon, we looked at, at Clinton, and what you had back when Nixon was was a bear market, and that bear market continued. And what an you, oil shock at that time. And, and an oil shock. What you had this time, or what you had with Clinton, was a bull market, and that bull market continued. So that's what we would expect. We would expect a repricing but that bull market to continue. Listen, this market has been very, very resilient. It's been somewhat paranoid, and it's been very skittish as of late. But what have you thrown out? You've thrown out interest rates going potentially going down to 1%. You've thrown in a bombing in Saudi Arabia. You've thrown in the recession word time and time again. Now you have impeachment. So we should expect a little bit of repricing, but we do think that equities eventually go higher because the underlying fundamentals are still pretty good. What makes that repricing deeper. What makes that repricing deeper in the short term if trade and tariff starts to fall off the rails? Mm-hmm. Um, always the issue is sentiment. What does sentiment do? If we start to see bonds do make it back down to 1%, you could see a little bit of unraveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, those are the things I would look at. So the, I think you're sort of dancing around U.S.-China relations. Does this speed up a deal or does this thwart any notion of a deal? Well, I, So the impeachment proceedings... It's pretty fresh. So we're trying to figure out what's going on. Why did they do it now? Right? What, is it, what are they trying to accomplish at this point in time? Because they're really probably not going to get it through the Senate. So are they trying well, they had to... They new news, didn't they? I mean, wasn't there a new event that was really the galvanizing but we don't know. We don't know what's in that news, right? There could be, there could be a smoking gun, or maybe not. Sure. Trump has been under investigation this, almost this whole time, and, and nothing's come of it. So I'm not sure exactly why they're doing it at this point in time. We'll find out very shortly, but a lot of it has to do with that. Maybe what possibly is they're getting close to negotiation. Maybe possibly the Democrats are trying to muck that up. I don't know. Maybe they do have have a smoking gun. We don't know. Until we get more information, it's hard to really ascertain what's going to go on. What's your view of of a Democrat winning uh, the White House? And would this be a wrench in President Trump's re-election bid? 
Because if because if if President Trump is weakened going into the 2020 election, it strengthens whichever candidate it may be. How how would Wells Fargo view that as market negative, market positive? If we're going to price in a Democrat, you have to price in a couple of things. You would expect health care to be a little bit heavier, right? Because the Democrats have traditionally been a little bit uh, stronger handed on health care. With regard to market and market sensitivity, you would expect a Democrat not to be as friendly to markets, especially if it was Senator Warren. And so we would have to reprice in some of our expectations going just forward. Just a little bit. <laughs> just, 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 just a little bit. Tim's being sarcastic because you actually <laughs> think the repricing should be more than a little bit. Look, if, if we thought that there was any prospect of, of Senator Warren right. having a real shot, the markets would be in, in, in trouble. Right. They'd be, they'd be very, there'd be a lot of anxiety. But, but let's go back a couple of years. When Trump was about to be elected or when people thought he would be elected, what did people say? Is the, the U.S. And, and is a global economy going in recession? And that didn't happen. If you remember, overnight, when, when President Trump got elected, futures were down 5%. We ended up, I believe we ended up on the day. So I don't want to go to the nth degree just yet, but I would price in a, a more dramatic scenario with a Democrat than, than with President Trump. So in your model, what are you assuming for Europe uh, or the rest of the world for right. growth? So the rest of the world, so with China, what we think is China will stimulate until they, they can't. And they can, they can stimulate for a very, very long time. Right? They don't want to negotiate from a position of weakness. They don't want to go into recession. And they don't have to. With regard to Europe, Europe is going into recession. We see that. We know that. What does that mean? That means four bonds, probably low for longer for some time. But economically, we have decoupled. And it looks like we can continue to decouple, but we still have to monitor the situation. So we've talked about a lot of negative stuff, right? right? But you still see the S&P making new highs. Right. So what, what are you most excited about in this market? Uh, it, it's really the resiliency. Again, we threw everything we could at the market in August, and we were down 1.5%, 1.5%. And then we had issues in the Middle East, and the market still went higher. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing participation. We're seeing the market shake off bad news. And what we're seeing is a, a constant repricing. We had a repricing with momentum. We had a repricing with quant, and the market moved higher. And so you're taking a lot of, a lot of froth out. You're taking a lot of things that um, could cause dislocations and making the market healthier as we move forward. As you're processing this news, Chris, what is the number one thing that you'll be grappling with when you get back to your data? I'm assuming that tomorrow morning you're going to have to talk to clients about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so what are you anticipating? So the first thing we say is exactly what we said before. This is what happened with Nixon. This is what happened with Clinton. Okay, that's our base case. The second thing is we start to focus back on trade and tariff because that is the overarching theme. That and then we go back to the Fed. And then we just have to take in this information. What is there? Does it have teeth? And if it does have teeth, then we have to rethink how we look at markets, how we look at risk product, and, and the way things are going to be repriced. Because if there is something really there, then I do think we have more risk aversion in that market, and we have to rethink the way we look at the world going forward. How much repricing do you have in your model then? Or, I mean, I, I know this is early. <laughs> Literally, it's <laughs> no, no, seven minutes sending ago. back home to do some work tonight. You're like, when you get back to your desk tonight, When you Chris. get back to your desk, Chris, though, after the show, well. um, how are you going to think about just sort of the, the wheels just grinding to a halt right. in Congress? Even if, if that is the, just the sort of the minimum impact here. The wheels grinding to a halt in Congress. Well, typically when you have gridlock, that's a good thing for stocks. However, this time around, um, it's going to be a lot more difficult. The good thing is we're going to get a lot of information in a very short period of time. We're going to have negotiations around the 7th of October. 
right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have more information with regard to the impeachment. It will come out slowly in drips and drabs. We're going to have the the transcript from from the phone call with Trump the other day. Let's see what's in there, right? Is there a smoking gun there? If there is, again, we have to reprice. If the what do the Democrats come out with, and how unified are they? And, and then let's take a look. Uh, President Trump, his approval rating is actually going up. Let's not forget that Bill Clinton, after his impeachment, his his poll started to go higher. How does this work out? And and, and what what do we think the end game plan is? Is this is there really something here, or are they trying to do this to to hurt his reelection prospects? We don't know. And, and so. As we go back, well, I'll be up in Canada tonight, but when I eventually go, go back to my desk, these are the things we'll start thinking about. And, and it's just hard to process at this mm-hmm. point. Right. But we do know that if there is something there, risk aversion is going to move higher. I mean, you're going to Canada, but you're bringing your laptop, right? <laughs> <laughs> and my Blackberry All and right. my iPhone. Working on the Chris, plane. thank you. Thank, thank Chris you. Harvey of Wells Fargo. What do you think, Karen? I think, the, like you, the VIX is too low. There are too many potential things. I mean, I'm long. I'm always long. So if Mark goes down, I'm losing money. But I still think the VIX is too low. You need some protection. All right. Coming up, more fallout to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi calling for a formal impeachment inquiry into the president. We'll bring you the very latest ahead. Plus, the WeWork drama reaching fever pitch. CEO Adam Newman stepping down amid all this controversy. What could that mean for the IPO market? Stay tuned. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you are just joining us, it has been a very busy 42 minutes on the show. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing just a short time ago that she is opening a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. The president taking to Twitter, blasting the move as a witch hunt in presidential harassment. We'll continue to monitor this fallout, bring you more as we get it. Switching gears here, WeWork's drama reaching a fever pitch. CEO Adam Newman stepping aside as the company looks to go public. Let's get to Deirdre Bosa in San Francisco for more. Deirdre. Hey, Melissa, when I talked to Newman at the start of the year, you know, he acknowledged that being a public company CEO would be hard. But he said you need to block out the noise and keep delivering on your long term plan. But as you said, Melissa, that noise became a fever pitch that he could no longer ignore. So now two WeWork executives, Artie Minson, Sebastian Gunningham, they're taking over as co-CEOs and Newman becomes non-executive chairman and Key, this is critical, he cedes majority voting control. So what is next for the company? Does Newman stepping down actually bring the company any closer to an IPO? That is unclear right now. The dramatic valuation reductions and the delayed IPO, though, remember that happened before reports of Adam's questionable behavior. Questions still surround the business model, signing long-term leases and then subleasing them on a shorter term. What happens in a downturn? There's also the problem of cash burn. Without another capital raise, we work cannot grow at the same rate it has been growing at over the last few years, and it may need to scale back. Its revenue growth, guys, which doubled in 2018 year over year, is what separates it from the IWGs, the Regises of the world. Without that kind of growth and without its front man, does WeWork look more like an overvalued real estate play? Guys, we're right back to where we started. Even without those, even with those two ingredients, many were asking that question, and that is unlikely to all go away now that there's a leadership change. Guys? And, and Deidre, there was a long that was contingent upon an IPO. So it sounds like that potential source of capital could be off the table, at least for now. 
Yeah, this is why this was such a tricky balance for Adam Newman. He may need to go back to Masa and SoftBank that has that kind of money. It was a $3 billion IPO raise that was expected. And contingent on that was a $6 billion debt facility. So that's $9 billion that WeWork does not have to continue growing next year. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Vosa in San Francisco. And, of course, the company burned $2 billion uh, in 2018. So the rate of cash burn is pretty high here. What do you make of those uh, We talk about WeWork not because it's some fascination with the company itself, but what it speaks to in terms of what it can mean for the broader market stuff. I mean, the va- WeWork, if it were a stock, is down 65% from its all-time high, effectively, right? right? I mean, from a $48 billion valuation to current levels. I mean, that's a pretty significant move. We would talk about this of a publicly traded company. What does it mean in terms of what central banks have done? Tim and I have talked about this. just means the central banks have flooded the system with cash, Looking for a home. Those are really negative consequences of this. But if you're looking to play stocks, you know, people will say, you know, the Nasdaq maybe loses to this. Well, the stock was actually up on a lousy tape today. So I think names in the exchange space still work, Mm -hmm. despite what we just talked about. Karen, we were talking in the green room about why Adam Newman would do this, would actually kind of come around and say, I'll give up control. I'll do X, Y, I'll be non-executive chairman, et cetera. Mm -hmm. One, One explanation could be that he is... Um, you know, acting in his own self-interest in that the value of his share in the company will go higher, presumably, if he removes himself as the problem. Right. But you're pointing to the personal loan that he actually has. Yeah, that's sort that of could interesting be another to thing. Me. We don't know enough about it. But so it looks like uh, he had a $500 million personal loan from, I think, J.P. Morgan, UBS, and others. So as of the filing, he had drawn $380 million of that loan. I don't know how much stock he had against that loan. Right. When they when he took out that loan, things looked very different, probably, than they do yesterday. I think they actually look a little better for him today. I think in this current environment with him as the CEO and all of the sort of noise surrounding him, an IPO was not doable. And now I think depending on who they get, I think it is potentially doable. If you think about Uber and all the noise around Travis and then they brought in Dart, who ended up being a great hire. And, um, you know, so Uber had a difficult, um, difficult IPO, but still they got it done. I think with new management, I think they could get it done. And there's all this equity that needs, they want the company to stay afloat, right? They don't right. want it. So, uh, so I don't know that Newman had a choice. I don't think he did. Okay. It, really quickly, SoftBank too, though. I mean, the, who, who owns more of this and who owns more Uber? This is a bright light on the biggest investor, the smartest investor of space, top-ticking almost Allegedly everything, um, throwing so much money uh, at the sector and at the industry and, and really skewing a whole lot of valuations that now I think in other places we're paying for it. All right. Coming up, um, the news of the hour here. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing an official impeachment inquiry into the president. We'll bring you the latest developments on that story right after this break. This is a live look at Capitol Hill. Uh, The GOP is expected to issue a response to the news we brought you at the top of the hour that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced she is moving forward with a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. We'll bring you the GOP response as soon as it begins. Fast Money is back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, take another live look at Capitol Hill. The GOP is expected to issue a response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing that she is moving forward with a formal announcement, uh, moving forward, excuse me, with a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. As you see there, somebody's getting ready uh, that podium of which the GOP leaders are expected uh, to make that response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And keep in mind also, we'll get the full unredacted transcript of the call between the president and the president of Ukraine tomorrow. Ukraine, excuse me, Ukraine, I just made up a country, Ukraine tomorrow. So uh, it should be a very interesting next sort of 24 hours here, especially for the markets. Let's move on here. KB Home out with results tomorrow. The options market is betting on big gains when it reports Mike Coe's in Boston with the options action. Mike. Hi there. So KB Homes had over double its average daily call volume. The name typically moves about 6% on earnings. Where we saw the most activity was the October 32 calls. Those were trading for about a dollar and 15 cents. Any buyers of those calls are obviously betting it's going to go above that $32 strike price by at least the dollar 15 that they paid, suggesting that the average move will be to the upside. We also saw some buyers of the April 32 calls and also call buying in Toll and Lennar as well. So there was bullish activity in the home builders today. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co in Boston with the action. For more options action, tune into the full show this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are expecting the GOP response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's announcement earlier this hour that uh, she is uh, officially seeking a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. So as soon as somebody comes out to that podium, we will bring that to you live. Again, it would be the GOP response uh, that we are looking for. In terms of the markets, um, right now we're taking a look at the spiders. They're basically flat in the after-hour session. Uh, The 10-year yield has been holding steady at 165 from prior to the Pelosi announcement through now. So tomorrow morning, Guy Dami, quickly. What do you look yields, at? Yields, absolutely. Yields to me are going to be the tell. So yields, that turns into gold, but yields. 165 is your bogey. I think yields go lower. Okay. It is time now for the final trade. Tim Seymour. So the irony of, of Nike's numbers today with the consumer confidence number, with the concerns about the U.S. consumer, that these guys in consumer discretionary gold continue to do what they do. I'm going to stay in this name. 42% digital sales. DTC is very powerful and very profitable. Nike. Uh, Tepper. So Activision, this thing's been in the penalty box since late last year after it whiffed. 2019 has pretty much just been a reset year, but Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, that's the next big catalyst. It's going to be a blockbuster. Right before your final trade, Karen, tomorrow morning, what are you looking for? Uh, I'm looking for, same as you, uh, and the smoking gut. Let's see if there is one. Let's see right. what's in the letter. That transcript okay. should be interesting. Yes. But final trade. It's a great yeah. Robert Cray song, by the way, Smoking Gun. Con Ed, along the roots of, of rates and stuff, ED. That's the final trade. ED. All right. ED. <laughs> Again, we're expecting at any moment now the GOP response to uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's announcement that she is seeking a formal inquiry, impeachment inquiry into President Trump. So we are looking at that podium because we're waiting for the GOP leadership to come out. Remember, President Trump, in his response to Nan- Nancy Pelosi, had a series of tweets, one of them singling out Democratic leadership, including um, Chuck Schumer, as well as Maxine Waters. Um, Tim, for tomorrow, what's the initial sort of things that you'll pull up on your screen? Well, we talked about some of the macro that people are looking at. I think you need to watch what's going on in the consumer staple space. Guys talked about utilities. We certainly what happened to the to the XLU. I I think the dynamic of really understanding um, when we saw the numbers coming out of Germany today, when we know what's going on in terms of the global trade war, 
all of this comes together and says you should probably be selling industrials, you should probably be selling autos. Um, I don't think these are just one-day quick trades, but I do think that the response from markets today was very interesting. Think of the, the rotation we've had over the last month, and think of the reaction we've had in the last three days. Um, it is beginning to build back on, hey, let's take back much of what we lost. Um, that's how we appear to be ready to open up tomorrow. The first leg lower in the markets today happened when President Trump was in front of the U.N. and talked tough on China, Mark. And and the results from Nike this afternoon would probably give some investors some hope that perhaps there are companies that could buck the trend. Is Nike idiosyncratic? Or will it help the rest of these sort of Nike-facing stocks? I think it helps because, I mean, if you think about it, it has been the consumer that has driven the market. And the entire world, not just the U.S., is relying on the consumer. The consumer's been strong and resilient in the U.S. A lot of these consumer names are still strong. A lot of them are hitting all-time highs. I mean, from Kimberly-Clark to Walmart to Dollar General, they've all recently hit these new highs Nike, Lululemon, companies like that with strong brands, they're going to continue to work. All right. Uh, Again, we are still awaiting the GOP response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Let's get to Eamon Javers, who's still uh, outside the U.N. He is traveling with the president this week. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, a couple things to watch for here. One is we don't exactly know who the Republican leaders are who are going to be giving this response at this point or how many of them are, the, are going to be. Are we going to see the top three leaders, leaders in the House of Representatives on the Republican side, just the top leader, the top two. That's something to watch for here as the Republicans game out their response uh, to what Nancy Pelosi has said. She is opening an impeachment inquiry. That means they're beginning the process here of moving toward the possibility of drafting articles of impeachment. One thing that I'm going to be watching here as these leaders take to this microphone uh, is this question of tone. The president has been tweeting furiously in the past couple of minutes, calling this presidential harassment, saying this is a witch hunt. Will we see the Republicans on Capitol Hill matching that tone of real anger and frustration that we've seen from the president over the past uh, couple of minutes here? Or are we going to see uh, them take a different tack from the one the president's been taking in terms of their response? Uh, They're going to be talking to a number of different audiences here. They're going to be talking to the American public, uh, first of all, but they're also talking to their own conference of fellow Republicans and to Senate Republicans. If the House Democrats are able to move forward with an impeachment effort here and actually impeach the president. Remember, that's just sort of the the political equivalent of an indictment. Then the process would move over to the Senate, where Senate Republicans will hold the key to the president's fate. They'll have a trial in the Senate, uh, and ultimately they will find the president guilty or not guilty at that point. So these Republicans now are going to be kicking off this process, talking very much to that audience of their fellow Republican lawmakers as well, who are going to be deciding uh, much of what happens from here on out, Melissa. All right. Karen's got a question. Yeah, I've got a question. So uh, Speaker Pelosi, I believe she said that uh, that the whistleblower report shall be delivered and that the law is clear on that. And I'm wondering, is it? Is that so? Is the law clear on on that? Well, the White House disagrees. The law does say that. The White House disagrees. They say that they don't have to necessarily turn this over. There's some question about whether this act, the whistleblower complaint, which no one has seen publicly beyond a very limited group that's got access to the classified complaint, uh, what we don't know is does it actually pertain to intelligence. There could be some procedural argument where you could say this complaint doesn't meet the threshold of a legitimate whistleblower complaint, and therefore we don't feel that we need to turn this over to Congress. Obviously, the Democrats on Capitol Hill 
feel very differently about that. Uh, the president has committed so far to turning over the transcript of that call with the Ukrainian president, uh, but he hasn't committed to turning over that full whistleblower report. Uh, Democrats on the Hill say they need to see it. The law requires it, and they want to see it for political reasons as well. Amen. Uh, we want to get to the GOP response. Let's listen in. Just listen to the Speaker of the House. Speaker Pelosi happens to be the Speaker of this House, but she does not speak for America when it comes to this issue. She cannot decide unilaterally what happens here. They have been investigating this president before he even got elected. They have voted three times on impeachment on this floor. Twice they voted before one word of the Mueller report came back. Our job here is a serious job. Our job is to focus on the American public. Our job is to make tomorrow better than today. Our job is to legislate, not to continue to investigate something in the back when you cannot find any reason to impeach this president. This election is over. I realize 2016 did not turn out the way Speaker Pelosi wanted it to happen. But she cannot change the laws of this Congress. She cannot unilaterally decide we're in an impeachment inquiry. What she said today made no difference of what's been going on. It's no different than what Nadler's been trying to do. It's time to put the public before politics. Thank you. Mr. McCarthy, are you afraid that you're on the wrong side of this? Kevin McCarthy leading the GOP leadership uh, with a response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's announcement uh, that happened about an hour and five minutes ago that she would pursue a, a formal inquiry, impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Uh, let's get back to Eamon Javers uh, in front of the U.N. A very sh brief statement from McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise there behind him, the number one and number two Republicans in the House of Representatives, presenting a united front there of unity against Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I didn't hear the president's name come up there, and I didn't hear an aggressive defense of the president's conduct here in the Ukraine matter. What they're doing here is arguing that Nancy Pelosi, by moving forward with an impeachment inquiry, is in effect trying to steal an election, which was fairly won by the president back in 2016. They're saying that's inappropriate. They're going to do what they can to stop it. Uh, we'll see how that plays out, because this sets up now a very dramatic 24 hours where we're going to have the president releasing this transcript of the phone call. Presumably the White House and maybe some House leaders already know what's in that transcript. The rest of us in the public don't know, so that'll be a dramatic event tomorrow. And then we've got a news conference here in New York for the president that was originally scheduled to be around the United Nations General Assembly, which is why we're all here in New York today. Now, that news conference is going to be an impeachment news conference. It's going to be an opportunity for the president to face the press and defend his conduct here against a, a series of questions from reporters. So that one will be a flashpoint to watch tomorrow as well, Melissa. All right. So an impeachment news conference, um, which had not been an impeachment news conference, the release of the unredacted transcript uh, of the call with the president of Ukraine as well as potentially more details on the release of the whistleblower report all tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. And look, the drama here for the Democrats is they've sort of uncorked this impeachment champagne, uh, but now they've, they've got to figure out what's in the bottle, right? right? I mean, they've got to figure out ultimately uh, what's in that transcript, what's in that whistleblower report. They don't know the answers to those questions, even as they're moving forward with a very precipitous step here. So there's a political gamble being played by Nancy Pelosi sure. tonight. 
Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in front of the U.N. for you us bet. tonight. And thank you all for watching a very busy Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.